Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Hi, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am Pastor Brad. And I'm Melanie Medina, the co-host. The co-host with bling. <laughs> Don't forget the bling. So, Melanie, your shoes today. I, I thought, you know, you've gotten a reputation for having the blingy shoes. But I, today, mm. wow. Do you, I mean, you don't like them or? No, I just, they, I don't think they'd fit. No, they, yeah, no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't fit. I don't you. think I could wear them. But they're not really blingy. They're, they're more. Um, no, they're blingy. Oh. Oh yeah. <laughs> How many different fabrics are on that particular shoe style? That's the question. Well, I'm not a math major. Um, exactly. I, there's yeah. a lot. There's, there's like a lot. six or seven different styles. There. We've got like cheetah, leopard, some kind of, I don't know, reflective colors. <laughs> there's a pretty good heel on it too. Like I'm pretty sure I'd sprain an ankle even trying to wear them. Now these are the, the walking shoes that are designed to help you walk I see. a little better. It's just. It, However it, you justify it. That's, I'm, that's I'm exercising fine. and why not do it with a little fashion? I'm just saying that, you know. Into this season, you've already developed some patterns, some habits, behaviors, uh, reputation, even as the Red River Valley girl. So like totally for sure. You're so carrying that. Uh, It's been great to have you. And uh, I've really enjoyed having a mother's perspective. I know the audience has as well. And uh, thank you for being such a great part of this new season of Brilliantly Brave. I'm excited to be here. I'm enjoying it, too, even when you pick on me a little. Awesome. I do well, have a question for you. Oh, you have a question for me. Wow. I do. Are you someone's little brother? I am. I knew it. Yeah, I got picked on a lot. I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. I was bullied. Explains a lot. Yep. Okay. Uh, so I have a question for you. Um, are you a mom jeans kind of fashionista or did you skip that? Um, I wore what they're calling mom jeans now when I was in high school. Right. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm just going to sort of give my unsolicited editorial comment on fashion. I've I've noticed that the college and high school ladies are wearing the jeans that girls wore when I was in high school. They are. 35 years ago. Yes. What is that? You know, I I am not really sure, except I think that on trend right now is to go thrift shopping. And they're finding my generation's, our generation's mom jeans discarded for like a buck and a half. Maybe. I don't know. Wow. I don't know why. Well, if you have insight, uh, we'd love to hear from you at info at ishinelive.com. I would like to know why. Just question mark why mom jeans. So. I'm with you. Okay. I'm with you. That's cool. As we uh, sort of tongue in cheek talk about the cycles of fashion and how ridiculous it becomes as you get older, you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, are you serious? It's interesting how the trends do come around that every couple of decades, uh, generation sort of rediscovers what was cool and hip to us or to people ahead of us. And I think that's true in the church as well. There are cycles mm-hmm. in the church where we sort of rediscover truth mm-hmm. about God, about our faith, about discipleship. Yes. And uh, 
And then there are these stories that break through that each generation can point to and say, well, this is a story that I identify with and I connect with. And today's guest, Ellis Lucas, is one of those stories where when you hear it, you may not have lived what he's lived, but you know someone who has. Exactly. And so it becomes very relevant and very helpful to our discussion. So welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting, Ellis. Well, Brad, thank you. Thank you, Melody, so much for uh so uh, so honored to be to be on your show here today. Thank you guys so much for having me. It is uh, it has been a challenge because you've been uh, pretty busy the last few uh, months with your book, uh, Wanted, your second book that's come out, and we would love to uh, just spend a few minutes with you to understand exactly what what inspired you to write that book. Oh yeah, yeah. Well. You know, uh, I'm still I'm still stuck on the the bling bling shoes there and stuff. But you know, I got to commend you, Melody, because anything that will improve your walk, I think. I mean, how can you argue with that? I mean, you know, that's that's, so that's a no brainer. But uh, in fact, uh, when we get down, I'd like to know where I could maybe look into, you know, that brand <laughs> well, of shoes. I there. would like to see a picture of that. I I will make sure you get a, a picture of these shoes, and then I would love to have one back after you wear them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so yeah yeah that was quite a conversation there but i think wanted you know wanted um was written in, in you know in response to my autobiography the potter and the clay that came out in 2014 and uh, my personal testimony which um uh really covered everything from just a tumultuous childhood to you know my relationship with my my own parents, uh, both of whom are gone right now, they they both passed on. But uh, um, anyhow, it 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 had such it 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 had such an impact on so many people, and they had so many questions. And boy, I uh, you know I was really introduced to what I would call a world in crisis. That you know, every day when we walk out that door. You know, we're just enveloped by troubled people everywhere. You know, they disguised with, you know, sweet smiling faces and um, you name it. But boy, you know, they read my book and, and you'd be surprised at who would come to me and or want to want to want to meet with Peggy and myself there. And um, man, uh, we really we were really open. Our eyes were opened up to some real, some real difficulties going on in, in the age we're living in right now. And so wanted was, uh, it was written really in response to some of the many, many answers that they had for me regarding my testimony, my, my personal story of how does somebody go from complete, absolute utter hopelessness to live in, you know, this incredible life that you're living today with your beautiful wife, Peggy. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, I, I did about two years of, of hard research, you know, through everything from secular to the Barnum groups, you know, our own uh, government, uh, you know, Center for Disease and Mental Illness and uh, Addiction and stuff like that, and just trying to get to the bottom of really the root cause of what, what, uh, 
what really was going on? Where was the where was the 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 fracture in our society? And um, you know, boy, I tell you, you know, the family is the backbone of any great nation. And boy, you know, everything I everything I uncovered, you know, had a direct connection to the family. And um uh basically wanted you know was written, you know, it deals with what I call an ever increasing epidemic of just unnatural, you know, human suffering, you know, on a pandemic scale almost today. And uh uh anyhow and it's uh uh, I've been so so blessed to see the reviews and just the feedback from everybody from uh, who read wanted and um, uh, hopefully it uh, I, I just was writing it in hope of you know giving them really solid solid uh, practical principles that they could that they could uh, take a look at and uh, to the best of my ability try to explain. You know, what happened in my life that that righted the course, and you know, and and enabled me to, you know, to bounce back and and you know, recover and live the great great life God has blessed me with today. Yeah, you know, uh, for our listeners, Ellis, I'm going to just give a quick recap. In 1997, uh, you were arrested for some involvement in in some criminal activity, and. Uh, you you went through a significant process uh, in jail, incarcerated, where you experienced the love of Christ and uh, eventually converted to becoming a believer. And you have now written your second book, uh, one uh, called The Potter and the Clay. And, and this second book, which is recent, is, is wanted. And it's an ongoing uh, discussion about the the process that you've been through in your life and how God has restored and redeemed and transformed you from what you were into what God intended, sort of the uh, Saul to Paul story uh, that we read oh, in the man. Gospels. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of similarities. For sure. And I, I'm we're gonna have the the detail of your story on our website when when this is broadcast, when people hear it, but I want to dig in just a little bit and ask you some questions in your bio and press release. One of the things that your publicist put in here is what's a key moment in every believer's life, how the faith of a family is eventually transferred to become your own. And in particular, they were asking about your mom. Can you tell us that story about how your mom's faith influenced you? Well, my mother was the most remarkable example of a of a of a genuine Christian uh, living out their life for Christ that I'd ever I'd ever seen. And in my in fact, in my biography, when you get into uh, the Potter and the Clay, there on March 6, nineteen ninety seven, when we were, you know, when I was sitting in that jail cell for twenty hours, looking at fifteen years to life in prison, you know, it was. It was during that time that, boy, uh, you know, you, I started to really reflect back on the, just the, the handful of real, you know, of, of Christians that really stood out through the years that used to minister, you know, Jesus Christ to me all the time. And 
boy, they, you know, you, they sure cut through the dark. You could sure, you could sure see there's something different about them there. But my mother was such a unique individual, though. I mean, she had the heart of an evangelist, you know, with a tenacious spirit that, you know, she was so bold about her faith. She was so in love with Jesus that, you know, anything and everything that, that my mom, the concern her was, you know, it was decorated in the gospel. Our home was filled with Bible scriptures and characters and you name it. And, you know, mom, uh, you know, she, she was so well respected. She was loved by so many people all across the country. But, you know, when you would, where you would find mom was right out there, you know, speaking words of hope and to just trouble people from our community, doing the most outrageous things for the most troubled people and different things, you know. And, uh, boy, I tell you, you know, it was obvious, I mean, you know, that she wasn't, uh, I mean, whatever was going on with her, this was before I was saved, was was a genuine you know, expression of what she believed. And, um, boy, in 1991 there, you know, we got word that, you know, that's when I found out she had, um, you know, terminal cancer there and only had just a few short weeks to live there. And, boy, my world stopped. I was scared, you know. I was absolutely lost in every every aspect of the word there. I couldn't imagine how God could take my mother away from me right there at that point in life there. My dad and me at that point had this just tumultuous relationship that was, it was just nothing short of bitter hatred. And uh, all of this in, in just one family, but... You know, I just couldn't understand how God could, you know, could I couldn't understand the reasoning in his plan. You know, how he could, you know, take the sunshine and just leave me here with the rain and the tumultuous storm going on. It was a very hopeless feeling. And, um, you know, the next uh, five years was a, a very, very, very dangerous downward spiral into um, eventually, you know, a life that was so utterly destroyed, um, Brad, that, uh, there was no conceivable way of, of recovering to, to ever live any sort of a healthy or normal life ever again. And it, you know, uh, it was, it was just the most, you know, extreme, feeling of despair that you can imagine. But, uh, you know, and in March 6, 1997, you know, the, the winter, you know, it was, th it was around Thanksgiving of 1996 when, you know, the old farmhouse that I had went to live on, living at my dad's farm and caught fire and burned to the ground. And, you know, that winter I, 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 I was technically homeless there through most of that winter. And, you know, I'd went through a divorce and, 
bless her heart, I mean, you know, there was nothing. There was it was not her fault. There was none of that that was her fault. I mean, she did the best she could. I don't know how she stood it as long as she could, but I had no hope. I couldn't take care of myself, let alone that. I never blamed her at all. But uh, then, you know, it was just a rough winter. And, um, you know, that early spring, I, I'd i got a, a job working for Mid-City Motor Freight down in St. Joseph, Missouri. And it was a really good job and it paid good. It was home every day, off on the weekends. It was something that really gave me some a spark of hope there, you know, uh, that there might be some way I might be able to pull this, you know, turn this thing around. But, you know, uh, I, I was so tired at the time. I mean, mentally, physically. Uh, emotionally, I mean, drained. I mean, I was exhausted. And I just needed a place to stay for maybe a couple of weeks, I thought. And that's what that's what led me down there to uh, Kansas City uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, uh, a family member, the only person, the only remaining person that I could think of that would even talk to me anymore. And... Uh, you know, I, I went down to stay for, you know, I was planning on staying a couple of weeks there, and I thought I could, you know, get out of there by that time. But, you know, it was the most terrifying, harrowing, you know, two weeks of my, or six days of my entire life. I, uh, you know, there was the most, you know, there's the most, I mean, I can't even describe the people that was just coming and going all hours of the night. I mean, you know, you're, you're looking at just the walking dead. I mean, the people that, you know, were so, you know, you know, were so out there in the darkness. But the funny thing was every day I begin to just, hear this voice saying, Alice, you got to get out of here. Praise God. You got to go. Praise God. You know, I was going to say too, Ellis, um, on, uh, on, on the, on the bio that, that I read, you were mentioning this really huge source of hope being, um, basically the point of wanted, uh, is Psalm 2710, where the word of God says that even your mother or your father might forsake you. But that God never will. And he had a plan for you. He had a plan for you all along. And so I even as I understand it, even the letters that you wrote, um, you began writing some some letters and trying to write some of the things that had gone wrong. Um, and even some of the letters that you wrote are now distributed. Is that correct? In the correctional Oh, well, the book, my book, The Potter and the Clay, my autobiography is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been adopted in prisons and so you know, county jails, rehab centers, rescue missions, wherever there's troubled lives. They they have just been sponging them up by the cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyhow, and boy, I, I have that verse in, in there too, uh, Melanie, and, uh, but you see, I think that one of the problems that I've discovered you know, was the same thing I had. I, I, I'd come to the point where, you know, early on, 
after getting involved with drugs and different things, I mean, I came to a point where I didn't believe that God loved me anymore. I spent over two decades of my life wow. in utter despair of hopelessness, believing that the moment I die, I'm I'm going to perish. And, you know, if what my mom is telling me is true, it's, it's hell. Mm. And, you know, it wasn't the fear of God that mom put in my heart that, that stuck with me. It was the fear of hell and a lake of fire and damnation and torment. And always, all those you know, I always thought, man, I, I can't take this suffering. So that's going to be, I don't know what to do about that. But but it, it all in all ended up pulling you into a place of tremendous hope and restoration and uh, a place where you have um, now you've seen you've seen amazing things happen. And, and uh, your wife, Peggy, is part of that redemptive story, right? Oh my goodness, man! Tell me a little bit about how how the redemption has has happened. Well, it was you know on March sixth in that jail cell, I was there for, I was there for 20, 20 hours, and you know during that time, I've just I just kept trying to think of who I could even call, and you know I don't know how much time had passed, but a long time it had really lapsed while I was in there, and. There come a point where I realize that I don't have a single human being on this planet that I can think of that even likes me anymore, let alone that <laughs> loves me. Sure. And that was that was the end of it. I mean, that was smashing head on into the bottom of it all right there. Um, not only was I going to be in prison, but then I didn't even have anybody. And boy, that was the loneliest feeling in the world. But it, it was that. It's the moment I came to that realization there, Melanie that that's the first time I ever heard the voice of Jesus Christ say anything to me. And he said, Ellis, I love you. Mm. I'm here for you. And Ellis, I know your situation and I'm concerned for you, but Ellis, I can help. Yeah. I'm the only one that can help you now, but Ellis, listen, I have a plan for your life. If you will just trust me here, you know, he, you know, he'd really just kind of laid out a blueprint for my life. Uh, I mean, he'd, you know, he'd talked about prison. That unless, if you trust me, you're not going to prison. Yeah. I owed this forty-one thousand dollar IRS debt, and I said, Lord, I, you know, even if you could do that, I can't bear the thought of this anymore. I mean, I've been running all my life. I'll take care of that. You know, I was worried about my. My job that I just got, because this was headline news, and he sure. assured me that else you will not lose your job if you trust me. I, I, not only that, I'll make you number one at work. <laughs> and then he said, but Ellis, what I will do for you is I will restore all the love that was ever taken for you, mm-hmm. taken from you. And, uh, man, you know, that's when he really had my attention. And, um, you know, I understand that in that in that in that moment, you know, being, you know, literally just in, immersed in drug abuse and stuff, in the frame of mind that I was in for so long, for so long leading up to that, that you know, I didn't, I'd never talked to God, I'd never heard His voice, I'd never heard any voices, so I had a lot of concerns, rather what was going on, what I was here, you know, <laughs> am I, am I, am I, am I, but I had this wonderful, I had this complete 
absolute peace. I mean, I never felt anything like that. And so in one sense, in many respects, I, I didn't care if I'd lost my mind. I was at least at peace. And I mean, whatever was going on, I didn't care at the moment. But anyhow, he, uh, when, he, when he started talking about, you know, I have somebody out there for you, Ellis. You know, then he really had my attention because, you know, I don't think people realize the value in the relationships they're blessed with, you know. And one more thing about my mom there, Melody, is for all, you know, all, all through those tumultuous years up to where she, she took it to her grave, and she said, Ellis, you know, God told me not to worry about you, that you're his. You're going to be a preacher one day. Mm-hmm. Well, that just sounded like lunacy to everybody. <laughs> I mean, and especially me, I thought, but mom, I couldn't break the chains that, that kept me bound to the addictions, to the anger, to all the stuff. But, you know, I couldn't for the life of me imagine how anything like that could ever happen. But but ultimately, yeah. it has. <laughs> That's incredible. It's, yeah, oh, it's went well beyond that because, you know, you know, you know. So anyhow, so we were released after twenty years or twenty hours. There, we were, of course, charged. But you know, and it was, you know, you know, there was drugs. There was a lab. There was all this paraphernalia. There were guns, weapons. You name it all. When they came in. And then we were looking at 15 years to life in prison. And, um, you know, gosh, I had moved that lab with my bare hands. I'd touched everything. I'd lived there for six days. And, you know, it by all, by all accounts should have been an open and shut case. But, you know, in, in mid July of 1997, my lawyer called my dad and said, I, I need you both to come to my office immediately. I have something that I have to, talk to you about and I and we I need you here we can't talk over the phone so dad grabbed me and we went down there and you know uh when we walked in we walked you know they led us around into this big conference room and I could I just remember this big oval conference table that looked like it went from Kansas City Missouri clear out into Johnson City Kansas it looked like it was you know and all these big suit and tie guys and all dressed up, big clerk kit looking guys. And I thought, this ain't good. <laughs> but they, they said, we well, you know, just sit down for a minute as I tried to explain this the best I can. He said, well, I don't, I really don't know how to explain it because, you know, the prosecuting, you know, attorneys, DEA, nobody really has any explanation for this, but. Um, so they're dropping the charges on Ellis because they can't find, they don't have any evidence. They don't have a crumb of evidence. He couldn't find a single fingerprint of his wow. in that house. Wow. And they have dropped all the charges on him. And, and so he said, but show up at court here, you know, here in a few days there, at, just so, you know, we know for sure. But he met me at the door and said, Ellis, you know, uh, not only are you free, but, you know, they're you know, they're just, uh, you know, uh, everybody involved wanted to, you know, send their condolences and, and apologize. And sorry you got had to go through all this. And I'm still, and I'm thinking, I, I, 
going through something. I mean, I willingly went through that. I was a participant. I was guilty. But, you know, um, that's when God said, now do you believe? Then, then that's when I knew. That's when I knew that I, I'm, I'm hearing the voice of, of God. You know, the Bible says it. My sheep hear my voice. Yes. They know me. They know my voice and they follow me. Yeah. Well, that's true. It is. That's very true. And uh, by you the know. end of the year, I was introduced to another man who worked for the IRS and, you know, through a tumultuous turn, through a whole bunch of turns of events and different people. And, you know, and I had a friend that said, come on, I'll go with you. And he walks with me and walks, just uh, walks me inside the door and says, you know, this is a, that's my friend Ellis, and uh, you know, and so, uh, and then boom, the door closed behind me, and I was just terrified. He didn't say he was <laughs> he was leaving. He said, "Anyhow, I'm sitting there, and there's this there's this man of enormous compassion looking at me. His name was Everett, and he says, "Are you okay?" And I said, "No." He says, "Listen, let me let me." Let me grab you something to drink here and listen. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I'm a Christian too. <laughs> and I know I've, I've heard your story and I've, you know, and I've been following what's going on and I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm here for you. You know, we're, we're in the same together now and boy, I just started to calm down. And so we talked for about, Oh, 20, 25 minutes about Jesus and all the stuff that he did, his family and all the things they were involved in and radically just crazy in love of God. And, you know, and just two or three minutes about this IRS deal that had been haunting me all my life. And at the end of our discussion, he just said, Ellis, now I want you to go home and don't worry about this, okay? I want, but pay your taxes. <laughs> Come spring. File your taxes. That's what we do as citizens. That's mm-hmm. what we do as Christians. Right. And so, you know, well, next spring I, I did that and um, I got a check back in the mail for over a thousand dollars and <laughs> I almost lost my mind. I thought, oh no, no, this, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in enough trouble. I'm going, yeah, I don't know what happened. Not cash that one. <laughs> I'm headed straight down there right now to get this straightened out. And I went down there and, you know, and I was, uh, talking to one of the ladies working at the desk there, and I said, look, you know, I've got all this going on and everything, and I said, I don't know how I got this check. I don't know what's going on, but I said, I don't want any more trouble. I'm, I'm trying to get this all straightened out, and she was looking at me like like I was, you know, she couldn't figure out. She didn't know what was going on. She said, Ellis, you don't know anything. Wow. You know, I'm sitting here looking at your whole record, at, your, at my screen here, and you don't know anything. You don't have a debt. Yeah, and I just... Uh, Yeah, Ellis, Brad and I are just like sitting across from each other just in wow mode. And um, uh, I just, I'm just in awe of all the things that the Lord has done and has brought you through and now has brought you to. And um, the fact that you're using this voice and and these stories um, of the experiences that you've had to impact other people and to allow people to know the goodness of the Lord is just, I'm, I'm so honored that you have, have been able to be here with us today. Um, now, Brad, did you have something that you were going to ask him? Oh, I see how this goes. Mm-hmm. 
Ellis, we are unfortunately pretty much out of time. Our producer's giving us the, the snake eye. Um, but we do ask questions of every guest in season eight. Um, it's a very specific question. So are you ready for your specific question? Let's do it. This is good. What's your most memorable parenting moment to date? Oh boy. My most memorable parenting moment to date. Well, I would have to, I got to take it back to my mom there, um, Brad, because, you know, she went to her grave, you know, standing on a promise that she'd held on from God that not, that I was not only going to be one day rescued out of all this, but I was going to preach the gospel. And listen, she took that to her grave with her. And it was another five years after that when I got when I got saved. My greatest parenting moment that I would say is that, look, mothers, never give up on your child. Never look at, never look at what you see, but look at what you don't see. Because hope is not something that you see. Hope is something that you, that you don't see. It is the eternal things. And listen, don't underestimate the power of God to you know, to literally step in and intervene, transform your troubled children out of the most hopeless situations you could possibly imagine. Nothing is impossible for God. And I will never forget the way that my mother loved me through the most darkest moments of my time and believed all along that I was here for a purpose. And you know what? She was right. Wow. So listen, you know, love your love your children. You know, I, I, I tell you, I've met so many, so many parents, so many children. And they come to me and they all want to talk to Peggy and they say, look, my, my child, you know, she role model student, you know, you name it, moved out, got involved with this, got in, got into all this trouble. Said that. I said that we've ruined our lives. They don't. We hate you. We don't want you. We don't ever want to see you again. All this stuff, and <laughs> I mean, it's like a broken record. Well, listen, if you're one of those parents out here, I want you to know that I said the same thing to my parents when I was in trouble, when life was hopeless and out of control. What I was saying was one thing. What my heart, what I, what I was really saying inside, though, what I really meant was. I'm scared. My life's out of control. Please don't give up on me now. I need you. So, yeah. Don't let the, don't let the, uh, you know, learn to interpret. Learn to interpret. You know the heart, and not what they're saying because it's never what it appears. I would say ninety nine percent of the time. And right there, as I wrote. You know, as I wrote in my book, nobody is ever without hope in this lifetime. There's no human life beyond God's infinite passion to love and to know. And there's no situation, pain, sin, or failure beyond his desire, his ability to forgive, heal, and restore if we are willing to humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God in true biblical repentance to meet him on his terms, commit our ways to him. And, and I mean, that's, that's for good. 
and then trust you because the moment you commit those ways, it's, it's going to be tested. That's yeah. why you right. got to trust him through the storms because it was in the darkest, the darkest tempest after becoming a Christian where I really saw the faithfulness of God. And that's where I really become to know my God because it was two years when I got saved before I really knew him, I was saved. Yeah. No doubt about that, but I didn't know God. I didn't know if he was, had bad days, mood swings, but no, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he does not. He Absolutely he not. doesn't. And it was in the worst times of uncertainty as a Christian that God really made himself known to me in a very personal, intimate way that, you know, that really took away all the fear, all the anxieties, you know, and just made me fall so head over heels in love with him. And, you know, um, I mean, on March 6, 1997, to hear him say, I love you. Oh, my gosh. So comforting when you spent two decades of your life thinking he didn't. And I thought, really? <laughs> Boy. Wow. Um, wow. Well, let's, uh, on that note, I'm afraid we're out of time. We're going to have to wrap this up, but it's been a, a very intriguing story that we've been listening to. And for our audience, if you want to know more about Ellis and his ministry, about his books that he's written, go to EllisLucas.com. That's E-L-L-I-S-L-U-C-A-S. Dot com, And uh, we'll have links for that on our website as well. And we'll have links to his books so you can get them uh, if this is of interest to you. Thank you again, Alice, for taking the time to be a part of the Brilliantly Brave Parenting Podcast. Well, Brad, you're more than welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. Brad, I just want to say something. If, if, if there's someone out there that can't afford one of my books or something, if they need this story, if they really need something, to, then email me i mean send me a message through the contact page on my website i'll make sure you got a copy of it there so anyhow but uh brad maldi you guys uh, are incredible it's been such an honor you know to be on your show today and man are you guys ever making a difference out here and um i just want you to know how grateful i am what a you know what a privilege it was to be with you guys today and thank you so much Thank you so much. Thanks, Ellis. God bless. And uh, we'll talk with you later. Bye-bye. Well, Melanie, that was an excellent uh, discussion. I really felt the Holy Spirit in that that dialogue. I did, too. I really feel like um, he was not just talking to us in that interview, but he was speaking to our listeners. Mm -hmm. Maybe a few in particular who are walking through something very similar to what he's walked through. It was just it was really good. And I want to say again that verse 2710 um, that his book wanted um, includes and um, I just I think that's a really great verse to cling to, because even sometimes we as parents may feel like we are um, dropping the ball on a daily basis. Um, but God is always there. He's there for us and he's there for our kids as well. And to hear a redemption story like this just really firms that up. Yeah, I I wrote down a couple of things for uh, myself, just things God was speaking to me about in his testimony. I mean, that's what we heard. We heard the testimony mm -hmm. of a man whose life was radically changed by his mom yeah. after she passed. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of this delayed response. And I think we as parents get in a hurry. We get impatient. We've made our prayers. We're expecting the answer today, right now. 
And that's not how God works usually. No. And sometimes not even in our lifetime do we see the answers to those prayers. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, I think his, his final uh, sort of exhortation is the term that comes to my mind is sort of this enthusiastic, spiritually inspired encouragement. He's saying that when your child is troubled and they're acting out and they're blaming you and they move out and all these terrible things are happening in your your parenting family life. He said, remember, what they're really saying is I'm scared. My life is out of control. Don't give up on me now. I need you. Yeah. He wants us to look a little closer, listen a little harder and discern. Really listen. Yeah. I remember. um in my own parenting experience with teenagers, there was a moment when God really showed me that one of my kids in their teen years, uh, what looked like uh, rebellion was really despair. And they look really similar to a parent. They, they look and feel very similar. And so he's in his own way, Ellis is saying the same thing that as parents, we need to be very careful not to assume right. that our kids, when they're acting out, are just being defiant there might be despair underneath that or hopelessness. And so may the Lord give us all wisdom Amen. as parents, because none of us feel brilliant or brave. So true. So Melanie, how can people find us online and what should they do when they find us? Well, first, if they're listening to our podcast, I hope that they have their favorite platform open right now. And in each platform, there's a way where they can leave us um, a great uh, recommendation or some stars and maybe even refer us to a friend or two. And they can always find us at BrilliantlyBraveParenting.com and on Instagram as well. Of course, you'd say that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Five stars, I would say five. We really want the five star <laughs> rating. Uh, it helps us a lot. I know that sounds funny and we kind of make a joke out of it, but in all seriousness, the uh, the growth of this ministry is dependent in many ways on our fans. Absolutely. And Instagram. And Instagram. <laughs> Thank you all. God bless. We will be right here next week. See ya. Be encouraged, parents. You are not alone. In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes... But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be right here next week.